Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 61 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, but better known to all of us by now as just DCU. We're on a first name basis. And whether you're driving off the lot or refinancing, DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. I'm not kidding. That's how low the rate is. 1.49 APR. You can learn more at dcu.org slash auto. Insured by NCUA, membership required. Let me say that one more time. With rates as low as 1.49% APR. Just log on to dcu.org slash auto. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. If jumping out of a plane has always been on your bucket list, then this is the time to do it. And why not go to America's oldest skydiving drop zone? Jumptown is conveniently located in Orange, Massachusetts, right off of Route 2. They're open seven days a week. And Jumptown understands if you work in the service industry that you can't always get time off on the weekends with your friends because that's when you're working and that's when you make your money. That's why Jumptown offers service industry discounts on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays with tandem skydives as low as $185. It's the perfect opportunity to put a bunch of your coworkers together and go skydiving together. And if you're the group leader, for every person you bring with you, it's $10 off of your skydive. Bring 10 people and you jump for free. If you got questions or you want more information, just log on to jumptown.com. And if you want to make a reservation and get on that plane, climb to 13,500 feet up, and then jump out, then call 978-544-5321. Okay, it's only happened a couple times so far that a guest has come on more than once on the Mistress Carrie podcast. Kevin Martin from Candlebox first made an appearance on the podcast with episode 19 last year. We actually did the interview the day that Eddie Van Halen passed away. And in the original part of the interview, we hadn't even heard the news yet. I've known Kevin for a really long time, back when I was working in radio but wasn't even on the air yet. And we've always kept in touch, and I find him refreshingly honest and open. He says what's on his mind. He has very strong opinions and he's not afraid to back them up. But he's also an incredibly sweet and generous and giving guy that loves what he does. Candlebox is getting ready to release their seventh studio album called Wolves on September 17th. And they're getting ready to hit the road on Thursday, August 5th, starting in Louisville, Kentucky. Kevin and I got caught up on what we've been doing throughout the COVID-19 lockdown how he's been spending his time. We talked music, inspiration, keeping a band together, family, fatherhood, growing old. 
And we even ended up talking about Mike Oldfield and the soundtrack from The Exorcist. We had an absolute blast and I love having him on the podcast. If you missed our first conversation, the link to episode 19 is in the show notes of this podcast. And if you've always loved Candlebox's music, well, allow me once again to introduce you to Kevin Martin from Candlebox. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Her hair is so lovely. Good eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. You're on the record, Mr. Martin. <laughs> now, there's nothing I can say that can be used against me? No, no, everything. I'm using all of it against mm. you. Damn it. <laughs> you are one of the are first you? artists that I've had on the show twice. I love that. That's pretty cool. It, uh, it's been a year since I talked to you yeah. last. I know. I was just thinking about that. It was literally like, uh, right, right, uh, right before Eddie Van Halen died. It was that day. Yeah. 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 Oh, no. Yeah. We spoke that morning and then. Then I had to call you back right. and go, um, if we don't address Eddie Van Halen, we're going to look like yeah. assholes. Can we talk about Eddie Van Halen, please? Yeah. That was crazy. How are you holding How up? Are you? Uh, you know, I'm good, um, geared up to go back on the road. So, I mean, we'll see, you know, uh, everybody in our bands vaccinated crews vaccinated. Um, we've all had to sign a, a kind of a agreement waiver that there's no backstage. There's no guests. There's like nothing, you know, um, it's weird. It's just a weird thing. Cause we're used to playing a show and then going out and having a few drinks at a bar or something. No. And- and now we are not, we're not doing that. So, yeah. A lot of people, I mean, obviously when you and I spoke last year, we're in the height of everything and everybody, things are getting canceled and everybody's like, how, like, what the hell is going on? How are we going to come back from this or whatever? One of the things that a lot of people don't kind of understand is all of the outside forces that have an impact over the rock show, like what you're talking about, that the insurance companies, the promoters, the agents, the record labels, the managers, the other bands and all of their people, the people that own the venue, the staff. So when you're talking about playing a show in front of people, there's there's a reason why some shows can happen and some shows can't. There's a reason why vaccinations are required. Like people giving the Foo Fighters shit about needing vaccinations to get into Madison Square Garden. It's it's not like you, Kevin Martin from Candlebox, can just 
wake up tomorrow and make a decision (laughs) about something like this because there's so many outside forces, insurance companies especially, that have an impact over this. And I don't think the average rock fan kind of understands how many lawyers are involved with putting a show on in this day and age. Yeah, it's, I mean, even without a pandemic, it's still, you know, difficult. Um, You know, you always get the emails that say, why aren't you coming to Canada or why aren't you coming to Europe or why aren't you, you know, all those kinds of things. That's always financial. I mean, but, but this situation is, you know, just, you know, being vaccinated doesn't mean we're not going to get COVID. You can still get COVID. It's just, you're not going to get super sick from it. Yeah, and hopefully and you won't the, die. Like, get the shot so yeah. you won't die. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reality is, yes, there are all these, you know, underlying forces that that we have to deal with when we put a show on. Like you mentioned, um, you know, promoters, insurance, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. So it's not that you just show up and play a show and then everything's hunky-dory. There's so many... Um, outlying and outside um, things that we have to consider, um, you know, I got to just, it's just crazy. And, um, and it's never been more kind of obvious, I think, to uh, uh, us musicians than over this past year and, and having to sit with our agents and look at a contract that says, if somebody tests positive in your in your crew or your band or on our staff or with uh, anything that has to do with the venue, we have the rights to cancel the show with no guarantee being paid. So if that happens and I'm in South Carolina and somebody tests positive, whether it's on our side or theirs, they don't have to pay me. And I sit there in South Carolina with no money. And, and I, and I've got, you know, eight people that are relying on me to pay their salaries or, you know, what happened to Buck Cherry, where they tested positive and they had to quarantine for two weeks. The, the expense of quarantining in, in, in the middle of a tour is astronomical. So and, and this is, you know, this is all on my shoulders. You know, Candlebox is my responsibility. And um, it's just a, it's a lot to take on uh, emotionally and mentally and um, and, and, you know, I'm sure physically that's all going to happen to me at some point. But the stress is going to hit me. Um, that, that, uh, I, I am responsible for eight people that I care greatly about, you know, um, financially. So, um, it's, it's a little, uh, it's a little daunting. And it's also made more complicated because you're navigating 50 States worth of different mandates and different rules. Whereas before you could go on a national tour and it's like, all right, well, this place got an 11 o'clock curfew and that place got a midnight curfew and this place you can take your dick out on stage and this place they're going to arrest you where now it's like, do we need masks? Is there social distancing? Like it's 50 different sets of rules now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we we've had a lot of people say, well, you know, I've got VIP for you know, whatever, you know, whatever show is coming through, maybe it's Joe Bonamassa or something. I, I'm just throwing that out there. Why can't I have VIP with you? Well, everybody has their own constitution as to how they want to deal with this. And, you know, just because that artist chooses to put themselves like Buck Cherry did by doing the VIP packages and the meet and greets, that's how somebody got sick. And I just financially can't afford that. You know, and of course, I'm, I'm certainly not Joe Bonamassa where I'm making, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars a show. 
Um, and I can take that risk. You know, I have, I, I make a living touring with Candlebox, but it is not making me a rich human being. Um, it's allowing me to continue to tour and to continue to make records. And, um, and it's been 28 years of, of this band's career that I, I, you know, luckily I still have a career, but it by no means way, shape or form is, is making me a rich man. You know, um, I have to, I have to go through budgets and I have to look at the insurance and the bottom line of that insurance payment of this tour. Uh, the, you know, the tour bus costs, you know, all this, that's why we always do the VIP packages because that extra money allows us to cover those expenses that we, you know, normally don't, um, uh, have the money to, to cover, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a weird world to be in right now touring. Last time you and I talked, you know, the weather was still warm, um, this was all, you know, we, we were still holding out hope that by the end of the year, it'll be gone. Yeah. Um, you're still married. I see the ring on your finger. <laughs> yeah, but I have spoken to my attorney several times. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's on speed dial. It's, it's been, it's been interesting. What were you doing since I talked to you, keeping yourself occupied, kind of stuck at home? And like in all seriousness, like it has tested people's relationships. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Um, I, you know, my wife has a clothing line, so I've, I've been helping her with that. Um, uh, you know, I, I, we did the lover boy, um, uh, video, which was, uh, an absolute blast to do. We did that. Uh, when did we do that? We did that in uh, March of this year. Um, which was just so much fun because I love lover boy. Um, I just recently did another one, um, which I'm not supposed to talk about right now because uh, it's coming out in a couple of weeks, but I'm so happy I was asked to do it. Um, it's a black Sabbath song that I just adore. Um, but you know, th those types of things, those little kinds of um, popping into a studio and singing backups on somebody's record or having them send me um, some files to do some vocals on, you know, that type of thing has been keeping me busy. And, you know, I, when I spoke to you last, I was at our, our vacation house in Palm Springs, which is a vacation rental. And I've been running that that's been, you know, keeping me crazy busy because everybody wants to get out of LA. So of course, um, why not book the house and, and spend four or five days away from LA. So a lot of that stuff is keeping me busy. And then I've, you know, been being a dad, we, we had to apply for a new school for our son to get into. And, you know, cause he's a teenager now. So all those types of things take time. And, um, you know, meeting with my, my business manager over finances and figuring out how am I going to survive, um, the next six months, which is, um, you know, that's a scary thing to do as a musician when you've never really had to kind of think about that, or certainly not for the past 10 years, I haven't. And, and um, you know, having to deal with the banks and the PPP loans for the guys in the band, um, and small business association loans to keep this business afloat. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot, um, but I have, uh, I've got some great friends that I, I'm so grateful to, you know, be able to run around with and laugh and joke and, and the guys in the band, you know, we did the monthly zoom meetings, which are a blast. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, whatever, <laughs> just stop to keep myself busy. Dean, yeah. Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots told me recently that helping with the kids' homework definitely taught him where his limitations are as a father. Yeah. <laughs> how was is, how is that for you through the school year? 
It was really tough. It's funny. I just talked to Dean the other day about uh, a bunch of stuff. I hadn't spoken to him in a couple of years. It was does nice to catch up on the, the phone. Does he have the greatest laugh ever? I feel he like does. when you can make Dean DeLeo laugh, like it's infectious. Yeah. yeah, he's great. And he's such a lovely guy. I mean, both of them, the brothers are just, you know, beautiful souls. And, and I, I love them so much. And, uh, you know, it's I, I wish that we played more shows together because it, I think it's uh, – it's just a lot of fun when we're together, but yeah, um, trying, uh, trying, uh, um, to be a teacher, uh, was one of the most challenging things in the world. Um, I mean, I wasn't a great student. So uh, certainly I don't, I have, I'm not cut out to be a, a teacher at all. Um, it was more so what kind of tutor can we find our child? Because <laughs> neither one of us, you know, really had the patience to deal with it. Um, so that was, you know, that was hard. And at the same time, it was, it was sad for me because I wanted to be that parent that, you know, could sit there and say, okay, well, this is how that math problem works out. And do you understand that sort of thing? But I'm just not that guy. They've done know? a lot of things to math since we went to school too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things. I mean, I, I thought that math was one of those things that couldn't change, but, yeah. but math is weird. Now it is weird now. Yeah. Lines and dots and you know, whatever. Yeah. It's very strange. <laughs> I mean, for me, I thought it was a good idea to get married in the middle of the pandemic. So I, I'm oh, a yeah. newlywed now. Congratulations. Which was interesting because we got married outside and like had family sitting in cars and, and oh my God. separated from each other on like lawn chairs. We had like a COVID safe wedding. It was Weird, but it was great at the same time. Motorcycles everywhere and pizzas. That's great. But it was cool. Congratulations. Thank you. It was nice to have something happy. You know what I mean? Like It was nice to have a little, even though it was completely abnormal, what I've noticed with me, tell me if this is how you are, that even the smallest things now that, that feel normal, I appreciate so much more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just listen, going outside without a mask on, you know, I mean, that was one of the the first things that um, that I just was so grateful for. And and then, of course, L.A. is back down on, you know, uh, on a mask mandate. But I mean, just that one month where I could go into my favorite coffee shop and say hi to the people that I hadn't seen in six months and, and order a coffee without a mask on. I mean, it was like. I, I was just, I was just so grateful to be able to do that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's that there's so many little things that you look at now and you just go, wow. I mean, I'm breathing today and I'm, I'm, I'm healthy and I'm awake and I've got my family and my friends and, you know, a lot of us can't say that, you know, um, I mean, just, I can't believe that Dusty's gone. That's just so strange too. Uh, I mean, ZZ Top's one of my favorite bands of all time. I mean, what is it? Maybe it's you and I, you know, every time we schedule one of these things, somebody important passes. I'm, maybe we should stop doing that. Seriously, we should never speak again because, <laughs> because we're literally killing rock and roll icons every time we talk. Oh, my God. This is on record, right? Yeah, dude, I'm definitely recording you for this. But but yeah, it like it it is one of those things. I, I was talking about it. I mean, one of the other things since you and I talked last is I'm back on the radio. And yeah, congratulations thank for that you. too. And and I I'm really afraid 
of all of these pillars of the music in my life and that they're getting older. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, Eddie Van Halen obviously was extenuating circumstances. He was far too young, but but there are so many. We, we take for granted Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are just always going to be there. We take for granted that Robert Plant and Steven Tyler and all these guys are there, and it's like... When something like what happened with Dusty Hill happened, you just go, oh, wait a minute. These guys aren't gods that live forever? Yeah. No, it's strange. Certainly is very strange. Um, I think about it, you know, honestly, I think about it every day because, you know, I, I'm going to be, what am I, 52 now? Yeah, I'm 52 now. I mean, that's like, I 50 seemed a million light years away from me when I was 21 years yeah, old. Yeah, but don't you, know? you think 50-year-olds back in the day were old and like yeah, 50 uh, now is not what 50, like, do you know what the Brimley <laughs> cocoon line is? Have you ever heard of this thing? No. Okay, this is about I'm to make- fascinated now. Okay, so you're going to find it on Twitter when we're done, I promise you. Okay. So you remember the movie Cocoon? Yeah, of course. Okay. So when Cocoon came out, I think it was like in 1985. Wilfred Brimley was 18,530 days old when that movie came out. You remember in your mind what Wilfred Brimley looked like in Cocoon. He was a grandfather. Yeah, yeah. So there's a Twitter feed called the Brimley Cocoon Line. And when someone gets to the age that Wilfred Brimley was in in Cocoon, they have crossed the Brimley Cocoon Line. What? Paul Rudd, Fred Durst. You, I think, have crossed the Brimley cocoon line. <laughs> so oh there's no way. I mean, the Golden Girls were in their 50s on the show. Yeah. They were in. So it's true. So people then were old. Whereas yeah. J Lo is your age. J Lo's hot true. as balls. <laughs> she is. Well, hot as balls. I mean, I don't. Whose balls? Somebody's Satan's <laughs> balls. She's that hot. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yes, I, I, I often think of that. Um, you know, I mean, for me, it's just, it, it's more the the reality is, if I'm if I'm lucky, I'm halfway through my life. You know what I mean? Fingers crossed, I make it to hundred. I, I don't would know love if I to live make it long. to hundred, wouldn't you? But yeah, I mean, I would like to make it to hundred, and and uh, you know, and. and see my son get married and have grandchildren and all that sort of thing. But um, it's just that, you know, it's a, it's a, one of those numbers that when you hit it, um, you start to think about mortality and those people around you um, that are your age and that are as mortal as you are. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's just a weird thing to think about that, you know, all of these icons of, of rock and roll that, you know, are around our age now, um, you know, to die of natural causes is strange. I mean, uh, the, the drummer for Slipknot was only 46 years old. Joe that's Jordan's just bizarre, yeah, you know? know? Yeah, it's terrible. Um, but that's life. I mean, it goes, but your mind, you know, your mind plays that game on you that says, God, you're, you know, are you halfway through your life? Are you less than halfway through it? You know, what are you going to live to? What's, what's this world coming to, you know, um, all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, it's, it's been a, an eye-opening uh, year for, for me. Uh, certainly. Yeah. As a parent, like when you think about like the start of Candlebox, right. When you're young and you know, you're running naked in traffic and you just think you're going to, you're immortal because you're young and young people are stupid. 
It, is there anything that you can say to your son to get him to kind of understand to savor the young? Like, is there anything people could have told us back then to kind of give us the wisdom of age without having to be old? Because wouldn't that be nice? I, I just said to him, look, you're going to be my age one day. <laughs> and I hope you don't have you to deal with is what I've said to him, <laughs> uh, which is not the right thing. It's a very. What are they? The, what's uh, that you know, saying? Youth is wasted on the young. Like it is. It is. I'm like, I said to me, he, he just went away for summer camp. He had two weeks at a, at a farm camp with his best friend and actually about six of his best friends in Northern California. It's beautiful scenery. And um, he complained the whole time. I mean, it was just like, we picked him up. And he's, I was like, so how was it? He's got, oh, it was awful. Food sucked. Blah, blah. I'm like, God, man, I, if I'd had the opportunity to go away when I was his age for two weeks with my best friends, I would have, I would have said to my parents, I want to go for a month, you know? But it's just, yeah, youth is wasted on the young. And I've, I've said it to him many times. You, you need to just enjoy everything that's happening to you right now. Embrace it. Love it. Do everything. Don't be afraid of anything. Just, you know, if you want to drop in on a skateboard ramp, you've got a helmet on, drop in. If you want to jump that, you know, tube of stuff on your bike, jump it. I did it. You know, like I tell them that all the time. I just don't know if they're listening to me. I've spent a lot of time over this last year since I talked to you um, digging through a lot of old archives and stuff because of the nostalgia of AAF being gone. And one of the things that I've been thinking about recently, which is associated with you, is because that Woodstock 99 documentary came out recently, I was there. And so watching the documentary, I, I'm very conflicted because I was there and I had a fucking blast but part of the reason why I had a blast was that I went to Woodstock 94 and that taught me yeah. a lot of what to expect. Even though the weather was very different, I was very prepared for the unexpected because I was at 94. One of my fondest memories was seeing you guys at Woodstock 94 and at one point, randomly walking in the middle of a field, I literally turned around and bumped into Scott Mercado. Yeah. How I bump into someone I know in the middle of Woodstock 94, I will never know. But yeah. I've been very nostalgic about those Woodstock shows. So can you do what do you what do you think about when you think about that gig? Well, you know, um I, we were just, you know, we were pleased to be a part of it. Um I think um it was mainly my fondest kind of memory of it is that we were the only band that had a record in the Billboard Top 10. And and that felt pretty good. Um, we were obviously, the Friday night was was a last minute ad. So they they added us and Live and Collective Soul and Violent Femmes. And, you know, kind of, um, it was the, let's throw something at the wall and see if it sticks night. And it stuck pretty good. All those bands went on to be, you know, greatly successful. Um, and of course, the Violent Femmes were already a, a huge success. But, um, I, you know, for me, it was the experience of, of that stage spinning around and there are 300,000 plus people and um, the level of, of energy from the crowd, um, the excitement factor backstage with the bands. Uh, it was all just... Um, it was all pretty overwhelming and exciting at the same time. Um, I don't, you know, the only negative experience I had there was when we went to the press room, you know, for the press tent and um, 
and were introduced as, you know, the only band that had a number seven record uh, or no, record of the Billboard Top 10 and blah, blah, blah. And they introduced us as Candlebox. Were there any questions? And nobody asked a question because nobody cared. So that was like really the only uh, negative experience I had. And nobody cared because the Friday night was, you know, a bunch of bands that everybody thought were, you know, throwaways and weren't going to end up doing anything. You know, they were more concerned about getting Metallica interviews or Aerosmith interviews or Chili Peppers or Green Day or uh, the Cranberries or, you know, uh, what, uh, or any of those other delight or whatever. Um, um, so, you know, we were just kind of like a second thought and, um, and you know, rightly so. I mean, it was like, fuck, nobody knew who we were. We were just this new band out of Seattle that, you know, at that point had sold a million records and, and, um, and we're selling on average 150,000 records a week um, because we had a song called far behind it was doing really, really well for us. You know, that was, that was about it. Um, I think in everybody's eyes. So for us, um, it, you know, we were on tour with Metallica, which was amazing. We were happy to be there. One of the other reasons why I think a lot of rock fans are waxing poetic about, you know, nostalgia right now is all of the 30th anniversaries that are, that are happening because 1991 was just such a ridiculous year in music. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk about Seattle because of all of the giant albums that came out that really just changed everything. And one of the things that I'm ashamed to say, having done a lot of reading recently about the Nirvana, Nevermind, Pearl Jam 10, that whole era, I didn't know who Tina Bell was. Tina Bell. Bam Bam, who people oh, consider yeah. the, the godmother of grunge. Yeah. And I had never even heard of her before. Meanwhile, this whole generation of music that came out of Seattle was directly kind of inspired by her and her band in the 80s. Yeah, Bam Bam. God, Jesus, you're taking me back like 100,000 years really, really fast. That was, um, God, I mean, I hadn't even thought of that in, Literally, no one's brought that up to me in twenty plus years. That's amazing. You just said that. I mean, I'm I'm like thinking about you know, the first day that I you know heard Bam Bam and was running around in downtown Seattle. I mean, you've taken me back to like being a fourteen year old kid all of a sudden right away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a phenom- <laughs> I mean, inspired inspired everything. I mean, was behind all of that. You know, a lot of people you know, would say that Mark Arm was because of, uh, you know, Green River and, and all that sort of thing. But certainly um, Bam Bam was probably the first of it, you know. I just, especially because we're at this amazing place with with rock and roll and, and women finally getting to a point where, you know, like I, I just talked to um, Annie Bierzak from Black Veil Brides recently. And, yep. you know, we're, we're talking about how we've gone from the place where, like bands are like female fronted to bands. It just so happens that there's a woman in the band. Like, like we've gotten to a point now where there's just so many women in, in rock and roll that it's not a novelty anymore. And it's great. And I always look back at those women whose shoulders women of my generation are standing on, you know, the Stevie Nicks the Joan Jets, the Wilson sisters that, and I was really mad at myself that I didn't, that I had never heard of Bam Bam before. And I've just been reading a lot about, 
you know, guys in Pearl Jam and, and, you know, talking about how influential that was to the creation of the Seattle scene and all the bands that came out of the city. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. That's, uh, man, I'm, you're, I'm like literally going to go and start pulling up all that stuff. <laughs> That's amazing, man. I'm like, I'm literally a 14 year old kid right now. My head, my head is just racing with so many thoughts about that period. Um, God, I haven't heard that name in 20 plus years. That's amazing. And Seattle is continuing now because somebody I had a chance to meet on the podcast, I think since I talked to you was Aaron Jones, who is this? He's brilliant. It's unbelievable. And there's this whole new like generation of Seattle music, like, you know, you guys are way more known for your music than your football team. Subtle, yeah. <laughs> subtle nudge from Boston here, just a little. That, yeah. Hey, that's fine. You go ahead and you can keep nudging that one. You're the greatest team in the in the history of, of football. Yeah, it's uh, it's you know, Aaron is um, that kid's just a um, a force to be reckoned with. I am excited to see if his success um, really sparks that movement in Seattle or people start paying attention to the, to the to Seattle music scene again, because he's really just a brilliant, brilliant artist and what a voice and great songs. And, and um, there are great bands in Seattle still, you know, um, I don't know if you're going to see that kind of same historically successful um, movement of, of Seattle bands, but you certainly will um, see bands that, uh, that people are going to pay attention to and may, may sell, you know, 100, 150,000 records every time they put an album out, which would be amazing if they did that. Um, but, you know, we're, as a society, we're, we're so, um, I mean, everything's future trash for us. So it's kind of like, if, if, if we get attracted to something, how long do we stay attracted to it? You know, um, it's just weird to, to think if Candlebox were to put a record out right now, if anybody would even listen to it, you know, um, well, it's kind of the point because, of the interview, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, would it? I mean, would anybody care? Because it's there's so much music right now. There's so many bands. And I would hate to be a new band right now. I mean, I just would hate it. It would be the most awful experience ever. I, 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 and that's not to say that we shouldn't have them. We shouldn't have these guys that are you know, trying to come up. I just, you know, it would scare the hell out of me. I mean, artists like Aaron are giving me hope to that cynicism about rock being dead, that that people are finding, you know, a new voice, that they're finding a new way of communicating through rock and roll, that whether it's a, a recombination of the hip hop influences and, you know, we've gone full circle where rock kind of influenced hip hop in the early stages and now hip hop is kind of reinvigorating rock and roll again and it kind of gives me hope that it is still possible to find a lane and, and try to do something fresh and new and to not just think, well, you know, between Jimmy Page and Tony Iommi and Angus, they wrote all the riffs. So there's nothing left to write, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, uh, unfortunately one of the um, issues I think that everybody's, you know, running up against is that, a lot of these young musicians, um, you know, I don't know if they, of course, you know, Greta Van Fleet who you know, fell off the Led Zeppelin truck, but um, 
it's do bands really are they really influenced by Pink Floyd? Are they really influenced by um, Zeppelin, The Who, The Clash? Um, you know, and and do they are they dangerous enough to play it? I think the problem with rock and roll is that it's not dangerous anymore. And um, and and what I mean by that is, um, so these musicians are so kind of concerned with having a hit and sounding like some other band and having some, the same producer produce their stuff that did, you know, this band and they all play the same guitar heads and they all play the same guitars and nobody's really reaching for anything differently. And, and, um, and they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, trying too hard to be too good, you know, like the next theory of a dead man or the next um, breaking Benjamin or, or something like that. And, you know, rock used to be dangerous and, and we used to, say what was on our mind when we, when we wanted to say it, we weren't afraid of, of, um, uh, of, of saying something that pissed somebody off. I mean, you're supposed to, when you're making art, you're supposed to be challenging, um, intellect and you're supposed to be challenging, um, people's, you know, uh, opinions and views and, and, um, religious understanding or, or, um, you know, conservative, liberal. Uh, well, that is art's po- point in society is to make exactly. is to ask the questions. And and rock bands aren't doing that right now. They're it's just so safe. Um, it just you know, I mean, I've I've said the, you know the example several times. I've used the example of uh, Five Finger Death Punch when um, I forget the singer's name. He had a meltdown in Memphis and Ivan Moody and. Yeah. And the band kind of got on their socials or maybe it was management. I don't know. And apologized. And, and, you know, I tweeted back. I was like, you know, fucking guns and roses never apologize for anything. You're called five finger death punch. Don't apologize. If your fans don't understand, they don't understand. We're human beings. First of all, we're visceral. That's why we're musicians. Um, We're insecure. That's why we're musicians. Um, we're aggressive and angry and frustrated and, and, you know, and, but we have empathy and we have all these things. Um, so it's okay for us to, you know, have a complete meltdown on stage and walk off and have the fans go, what the fuck? And you just turn around and say, shit happens. You had a bad day and leave it at that. But to go out there and try to like smooth it over, you know, and, and I just have a problem with that. And it, you know, that's, listen, it's their prerogative to do that, but, I just think with a name like Five Finger Death Punch, you should be like, fuck you. This is who we are, you know? And, um, and you know, our singer's crazy because you've been to our fucking concerts. He, that, and there are a lot of bands that do that, you know? A lot of that was tied to, you know, a, addiction. And I mean, one of those shows happened in Massachusetts and I was on the air and people would call and screaming because they were mad. And, and that's one of those success stories where the band rallied around Ivan and they got him sober the band's back playing giant arenas again. And they're yep. in the studio working on new music. And it's like, and the fans are there. Like you said, the fans are going to stick by you because they get it and they understand. And that's one of the things that I think differentiates rock audiences from a lot of other genres of music is that when once the fans love you, they love yeah. you forever. And I'm not, you know, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to diminish, um, you know, what the band did for Ivan at all, because I think it's amazing. And a lot of times you have to go to, you know, I mean, there were times that I, that I wish that I had said that to Pete, you know, you have to get sober. 
um, because he was a mess for the first, you know, 12 years of our, of our career. Um, but you know, my, my only point about it is, is, is that there is the reason you get into rock and roll is because you have something to say and you want to say it and, um, and no one's going to deter you from saying that. Um, but the minute you start apologizing for your opinion is the minute you start, in my opinion, you start losing your credibility as an artist because you don't have to apologize for what you're going through. If you're an addict and, and you're going through that addiction, don't apologize about it. Do what you need to do to get yourself sober. And then you can make your amends. And, and I'm sure that's probably what he did. Um, I don't know, but, and I'm only using it as an example as to what I'm saying about. Well, I um, mean, rock and roll is storied roll. with those, with those struggles. Yeah. It made rock notorious. Yeah. And it, and like what you said, it, it was, it's dangerous. It's supposed to be unpredictable and yeah. on the edge. Yeah. yeah. You bring and up, it's not anymore. You bring up Pete. And when you get ready to go out on this tour, you're going to end up at home and you're putting the original lineup of the band together for a couple of home shows. Yeah. How, this is what I don't understand about bands, which is probably a reason why I'm not in one besides the fact that I have no musical <laughs> talent. Um, I'm Sicilian and Portuguese, right? So poor, my poor husband, I'm going to remember every fight, every curse mm-hmm. word, every eye roll, and I, it, it all gets tucked away. When you're in a band, especially when you're struggling with stardom and money and addiction and all of these things and you fight and then somebody leaves the band and, or somebody gets kicked out and then they come back and then they leave again, somehow you guys always manage to, to get together for these home shows and you've still, all these years later, been able to have that mutual respect, understanding, love for each other to be able to do that. That's kind of crazy. Because usually it when is. people leave bands, they like pull the pin, toss the grenade and walk out the door, you know? It, 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 you're absolutely correct. And the thing that's interesting about us is, um, you know, we were four guys that didn't know one another. Scott and I were the only two two members of Candlebox that had any sort of relationship whatsoever prior to us forming. So we're kind of like, you know, a, a boy band that was put together by Simon Cal, except his name is Kelly Gray. And Kelly introduced us to Pete and my friend, Sarah introduced us to Barty. Um, you know, it, I think for us, what it was, was we had a, you know, a really long sit down in 2006 when that best of record uh, was coming out that Warner or that Warner brothers was releasing and we all just discussed what it was that we were feeling and what those emotions were. And we got it out on the table because it was, if we're going to go out and do this, we have to clear the slate. This needs to be a clean slate. We have to be able to look at one another with the respect we had for one another when we started this band in order to, to continue making music and to continue and move forward. And we pretty much said everything that we had on our minds. You know, um, I, I spoke my piece, Scott spoke his, Barty spoke his, Pete spoke his. You know, Pete was sober at that point, um, you know, six years, which was amazing. Uh, and it made all the difference in the world for the band, Pete's sobriety. So, uh, and now, you know, Pete and Barty and Scott all have great careers outside of what they had with Candlebox. So for us to get back together, it's really just a week of hanging out with some old friends and playing some music that, really gave us all the light that we have. Um, and we respect that and we don't take it for granted. And I think that's why it's easy for us to do these shows this way uh, 
uh, is because we all know um, without each one of us, this never would have happened. When you put out a new album, like you're going to put out Wolves, do you hear from them? You know, like, does the does the ex-girlfriend call to tell you how hot your new girlfriend is? Do you hear from them? <laughs> do you get feedback on the music from them? How does that work? Yeah, Barty called me. He was like, man, I love my weakness. And I was like, thanks, dude. And he's like, I just, it's such a cool song. Uh, Pete texted me when um, All Down, or from Let Me Down Easy. He was like, dude, I love this song. So cool. Peter Cornell, brilliant. Oh, my God. Uh, let him know I said so. And I was like, yeah, sure, cool. Um, Scotty's the same thing. He's like, you ever need me to fill in for anything? I'm happy to do it. I love this new record. So, um, you know, I mean, Candlebox was never the sum of its parts. We were always uh, uh, the whole. And, and I think that that's why our fans have continued to grow with us and, and move with us every single record we made. You know, when we got back together and Pete and Scott uh, and, and I wrote Into the Sun um, and then because Barty had left to go back to be an attorney and and um, and then uh, we wrote a love stories and other musings after that. Um, you know, that all happens with growth of character and and um, and you know just understanding you know who you are and what you're capable of. And I just expanded when Pete and when and Scott left um, before I did disappearing at airports. I just expanded on the growth that was happening with musicians that I felt uh, replicated what those players were capable of that I had Barty and Pete and Scott. Um, and, and, you know, um, it's still an extension of the band, but I the only thing that kind of hasn't changed is the voice, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that that's really, if anybody talks about Candlebox, um, it's not, they don't know my name. They just know the song far behind in that voice. And, um, and that's kind of why I say that, you know, it was never, oh, Peter Clatton, Barty Martin, Scott Mercado, and Kevin Martin, Candlebox is like, I love Candlebox. And I think that's why we're still here. You don't have a date scheduled near me, which I'm kind of upset about, but I'm not going to take a person. Next year, next spring. And yeah. so I was like, oh, does this mean I have to go to Seattle to go see the original lineup again? Because I would really like to see that. You may have to do that. Yeah. If I'm, you know, <laughs> I mean, depending on where the world is at. Um, yeah. When you and I talked last, I, there's a couple things on my checklist that I want to see if you did or not. Last time you and I talked, you were talking about putting a drum kit in the house to control your anger. Have you done that? No. <laughs> no. Nope. Ang still angry. Are you still, still obsessed angry. with Yacht Rock? I am. Um, I am. Um, I have dug really, really deep into it. Um, <laughs> just because it's so easy to listen to, you know I mean? It's in the background, uh, but I've actually moved on to, I have another station that I'm kind of obsessed with now, which is the Roxy music station, which is just beautiful. And I, I love Brian Ferry and I love Brian Eno and anything from early Roxy music to the later stuff that Brian did solo, um, both Brian Ferry and Brian Eno. I love that kind of music. And I, and I think maybe it's only because I grew up listening to it because of my sister. I mean, she loved America. She loved bread. She loved Christopher Cross, you know, and at the same time, she loved Blondie and the Ramones. And so um, I, she's she's an interesting, um, maybe I'm more like my sister than anybody else in my family now that I think about it, because because of that, you know, I mean, she really was the most 
influential person on me musically, um, I think in my entire existence as a human being. You bring up Christopher Cross. I'm reading all these tributes to Dusty Hill and I had no idea that Christopher Cross and Dusty Hill were like friends. And he released this glowing statement about obviously what an amazing influence Dusty Hill was. And I was like, it made me like Christopher Cross even more. Cause like, I'm not going to apologize for liking the music because it's just fucking cool. But I was like, yeah, Christopher Cross, like, this is easy top guy. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, uh, we played a show with him in Vegas, um, for a, um, for our agent. Like there was some sort of agency conference going on in Vegas and, and we played shed stage with, with him. And I was like, a, I think I even Instagrammed about it. I was like a little kid watching him play. And then we were sharing a dressing room and I was talking to him, um, after the set. And I was like, man, I, I did not know you were like some metal shredder guy, you know, in the sixties. It's like, Oh yeah, I was, I was crazy metal dude. And then I just kind of picked up an acoustic one day and I was like, that's so weird. And then he told me how old he was. And I was like, what? I mean, he does not look like he's in his seventies. He still looked like he was a, like a 56 year old guy. It was Brimley cocoon I had no line, idea. Man. The Brimley yeah, exactly. cocoon line. <laughs> but he did spoke, he spoke about ZZ top um, quite uh, in depth about, um, how Dusty kind of influenced him and inspired him uh, when he was young. Um, Cause he got that, that first record and just fell in love with it. Yeah. You got to write down all these conversations that you've had with all of these bands between, between the Neil Peart conversations, the Eddie Van Halen golfing conversations, the Christopher <laughs> Cross is a metalhead conversations. It's like, you got to yeah. put all these stories that you have of all these backstage conversations together into some kind of book. Yeah, maybe I, I've been asked to write a book several times and I've got some stories to tell, but, you know, we're working on a documentary right now, a, a Candlebox documentary that it will celebrate 30 years of the band, which will come out in, um, in uh, 2023. And, you know, I'm telling a lot of these stories in that. And, you know, I'm, t- I'm, I'm telling a lot of stories in that, you know, the real history of the band and, and, um, and a lot of those conversations I've had, um, we're interviewing some amazing people that, that were there along the way. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I, it's weird, man. I, I, I think about it all the time. Like if I, if I knew then what I know now, and if I, if, if, if I shared now what I knew then, I don't know if that's such a good thing. <laughs> you would, you would be like in those time travel movies where if you go back yeah. in time, you're going to change the outcome of the future by, yeah, telling by too the much. Story. Well, if you need anybody yeah. to reflect on the Boston part of the Candlebox story, you let me know because I know that I would love to interview for that. Yeah, because it's it's always been that that weird Boston is a way of like adopting artists from other places and going, yeah, they're ours now. Yeah, I we love that about Boston. We don't care where they're from; they're ours now. We we're just going to kind of own them. And you guys were one of those bands, obviously. We were, we were, we still are surprisingly every time we come through there. One of the other things I've been watching, cause I cyber stalk your, your Twitter and whatever, a lot of bands, a shocking number of bands got into day trading and cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Did you get into this now too? Are you mining in the basement? Are you like driving <laughs> up your electric bill? No, I'm not mining for cryptocurrency. I, I invested in it. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a good thing to invest in if you, have an understanding and, and you're patient with it. You know, I mean, it's always long-term is what you kind of have to look at. And, 
you know, being a musician, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 65 years old. You know, I want I would like to have a cushion to fall back on. Um, I wish that I had invested in it um, a lot sooner. Um, but, you know, it's it's an opportunity for um, rapid gains. Um, it is the future of, of commerce. It's, you know, basically you can look at um, at, at cryptocurrency as um you know, one of them is a lira and the other is a pound and then the other one's a Deutsche you know, mark and it kind of the currencies of the world that we had. And now you've got the euro, which took over all of those. But um, if you look at it as a long term investment that you're, you're, you're not going to watch every single day and worry about and you set your market buys and things, um, it's, it's a great way to, to make a living. I'm not a day trader. I, I can't look at a computer screen. Um, longer than you know, thirty minutes, um, just because it, I get bored with it. But I do have my investments that are doing well, and and uh, and I've got a, you know, a, a group of guys that um, that work for an investment firm that call me up and say, hey, you know, we've been watching this one grow. You may want to throw a little bit of something in that. But um, yeah, the cryptocurrency, I'm, I could never be a, a miner for it. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't even know. The, I don't even know how to put a computer together. For God's sakes, you know, I can barely sing a song. You talk about youth being wasted on the young and um, if you could go back in time, right? And you could go back to height of candle box, million records, money flying around. What would you tell yourself not to buy? What did you do that was just stupid with your money back in the day that you just go, I can't believe I was so young and so stupid. I didn't do anything stupid with my money. I mean, I bought a Porsche. Well, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, like the fun rock and roll stuff. But I could afford it. You know, I mean, it's like I I, I bought it and then I turned around and I sold it. I made money on on the resale and then I bought another one and I turned around and sold it and I made money on it. I mean, you know, if you buy exotic cars and you don't wreck them, they don't really lose their value. Um, And I I think the stupidest thing I did was I got married, you know, before my (laughs) wife now. and, And that was the dumbest thing I did because I knew I should marry her and and everybody told me we shouldn't get married. And and that was, the I mean, probably the biggest financial mistake I ever made, really, with the band. Well, hopefully you get it right this time. That's <laughs> Well, 20, I've been with her 20 years now, so. That's I what mean, I mean. If I fuck this up, I get half of it. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, same thing. Like, I'm, this is number two. And I just told him, like, first one lives, second one you're, you're not, Doesn't. you're not, you're not going to, I'm just letting you know now, like let your family know. Yeah. And start it, looking and I'm recording it. So it's like, it's out there. People are going to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things, a question that kind of grew organically out of all these amazing interviews that I've been able to do on the podcast now. And I can't wait to hear your answer. Cause this isn't something that I asked you from a songwriter's perspective. If you can look at all the songs of all the eras, of all the genres, from a songwriter, not just a music fan, but put your songwriter hat on, give me an example or two of songs that are good songwriting examples that you covet and go, God, I wish I wrote that song. And explain to me Uh, why from a songwriter's perspective. I mean, David Bowie heroes. Um, It's, it's the, it's the perfect song. It, meanders um the melody never changes um it's it you're hooked from the first note of the song to the closing of of the song and you know and we could be heroes just for one day i mean how do you conjure up that 
saying, and the other thing that's interesting about it is he never sang the song the same live. If you look at that song, the number of times he performed it that you can find on YouTube or whatever, he never sang the verses correctly, the way it was recorded, which I love that. I love that he's just like, oh, I'm going to sing this one here. And then the next verse he comes around, he's like, oh, that's the, that's the closer, but I'm going to sing it just because I like it. I'm feeling it. And, and, uh, and I loved, I mean, there's so many songs that Bowie did like that, but um, I just think it's the perfect song. The, the tone, the drums, the wailing guitar, the way he performs it, the sincerity in his voice. Um, and then the, the lift when he, you know, when he goes into the, I remember part, it's, there's this kind of sense of loss that um, he had such a uh, uh, innate ability to, to put in his um, approach at singing um, that you just felt, God, you know, who's he singing about? What's, I mean, he was recorded in Berlin. So I'm, I'm certain it had to do with, uh, you know, probably the, the war or, um, or, you know, the, the, um, the struggle of, of the German people dealing with the emotion of, of what they had, you know, caused um, in, in the, the late thirties into the forties and the number of deaths uh, of the Jewish community. And there's probably so much attached to the song um, that uh, it's just fascinating that he was able to, um, to just produce an, a song like that. Um, and then uh, another one would be, um, God, there's a lot. Um, I would have loved to have written. Um, um, <laughs> I mean, God, it's tough. That's it, like Born to Run from Springsteen or. Um, uh, God, but there's I mean, there's got to be something by I mean, the clash, you know. <sighs> Rock the Casbah is, is, is a perfect song. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's pop, it's punk, it's rock. Um, it's imperfect in its approach. Um, the, the counter attack of the drums against the, the reggae guitar patterns. I mean, it's, it's everything that the clash was, good at but they were absolutely brilliant on that song and i mean i love the clash probably my favorite band of all times and and that song you know it's i mean a lot of people would say a london calling or you know white riot or those those are great of course all great songs but i just think com uh, uh um i think that's just like the combat rot's a brilliant record as well so um rock the casbah man i think it's just it's super intuitive it's a brilliant, brilliant track. Well, I mean, those are two examples of artists that did exactly what we talked about. They asked yeah. the questions. They mm -hmm. they were reflective of the time and the era they were in, and they asked the questions. Yeah. And tackled yeah. hard things. I mean, Bowie, right up until the day he died, tackling tough things, including his own illness and death. Yeah. Putting yeah. it all out there. Yeah. Blaming MTV for the lack of black musicians being on their on their show. Yeah. I mean, a point blank said, you guys are responsible for this. You don't play enough black musicians, you know, and that was in the eighties. Yeah. I mean, it, when you go back and you look at those, at certain artists, you just go, God, what would the world be like if they weren't here? Like yeah. the world would be so different without Bowie. The world would be yeah. so different without the clash. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Um, nothing's changed with the release of Wolves. Nope, September 17th. Everything is still on track, no matter how crazy the world's getting. <laughs> Candlebox made Fingers a plan. Crossed. God damn it, it's happening. Yeah. And um, you mentioned stuff in the spring. So obviously these tour dates that you're going to do late summer ending in Seattle with the reunion shows after the new year in 2022, there's continuing on continuing on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, we have a bunch of stuff um, for the spring worked out now that we'll be announcing uh, I think probably around October uh, and then summer dates as well next year. So um, it's just really about, we want people to hear this record and, and we want to uh, put the, the necessary time behind it that it needs, you know, to support it. From what everybody's saying, provided variants and vaccines and, you know, like extenuating circumstances, next year could be the busiest and most exciting year in live music history with the number of shows and tours that are going out. Yeah. And um, it's good. It's, it's going to be, um, difficult to find space in there for a band like Candlebox, you know, cause there's a lot of major tours taking off next year. Um, you know, and we're, we're still a 1500 seat venue band. So, um, you know, if, if we're really gonna, that's why we're just pushing really hard with this record. We want to make sure that everybody hears it and hope that we have, you know, a hit on our hands that, um, allows us to, to find that, um, space in between all those majors next year. Before I let you go, here's the open-ended question. Kevin Martin, are we going to be okay? As a society? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, as a planet, as a society, as anything. We've been as a planet. Th- we've been through a lot. We don't, are we all going to be yeah, okay? <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to be a downer, but I do think that Mother Nature is finding... Um, she's, she's finding a way to clean herself up because we didn't do it. Um, when we had the, the chance, um, are we going to be okay? Maybe. Um, I think if, if we as a society can find empathy again and, um, and respect one another and, and respect one another's opinions and, um, and not let politics, um, or, um, or politicians, lead us astray and focus on the big picture, which is we have to get this planet healthy and we have to, we have to be healthy with it. Um, and that means taking care of one another. I mean, the homeless situation here in Los Angeles is absolutely out of control. Um, we have, I think it's 14 people a day uh, on average go homeless in Los Angeles County. Uh, and then we're, you know, Southern California is 14 million people. So um, that in itself is an enormous problem. And I don't know, I don't even, I haven't the slightest idea how to fix that. Um, but I do believe that if we don't fix this planet, we don't pay attention now. Um, I mean, it was fascinating. I don't know if you saw this, um, this thing that they did in the desert in Dubai um, a couple weeks ago where they're doing, it's called um, cloud seeding, where they figured out how to create rain. Um, and it, they created a monsoon in Dubai. And, and it's basically these, these um, pods go up in into the clouds and they send these electrical pulses, which pull the clouds together, create rain. That's something that I think is, is um, one way that we can reverse 
um, a lot of what's going on because the wide the wildflower uh, wild fires are fueling a lot of these greenhouse gases and, and a lot of what is happening around the world um, is, is caused by those. So if we can figure out how to create rain and put these fires out rapidly, um, which reduces the chance of mudslides because rain is allowed to find its, its footing in the mountains and the hills. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. Um, but um, it's a we've, crazy we've all... notion, the stuff that you're saying, right? Like imagine us being your son's age. And somebody's yeah. like, we're going to make a monsoon in the sky mm-hmm. with like lasers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, there's a rover on Mars and, and, and the, the guy that, that published and, and, and released tubular bells was just orbiting yeah. the earth. Like <laughs> that's so like, I, that story, that guy, I mean, 19 years old, he did everything by himself. Tubular bells. I don't know if you've heard the whole song. Mike Oldfield. Oh, I have it yeah. on vinyl. It's insane. Yeah, that's crazy to me. And and but it came out on Virgin not... Records. So Richard Branson <laughs> released Tubular yeah. Bells, yeah. and then yeah. last week was like flying around the planet. Yeah, I mean it's fascinating. And, and Mike and he needs that. You know, Mike Oldfield needs to be like he needs a Grammy for that album because I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't even, it, I don't know if people even know the story behind it. Is that, was that we can the talk exorcist? about that some other time. Is that the exorcist? Yeah. yeah. Which, which they, but just... it's only, they only looped the first for the exorcist. It's like the first two minutes of that song is yeah. what they looped. It's like a whole symphony towards the end. It's crazy. It's insanity. And the guy comes in and says, you know, this English guy comes in and says rhythm guitar and his guitar comes. It's yeah. like fucking mind blowing. That's how I should have known that I was going to end up really weird as an adult is that when I was a kid, <laughs> I had the exorcist theme on vinyl and that's what I used to listen to when I was a kid. So none of it this. It still creeps me out. Yeah. And none of this should be a surprise. And they just announced a $400 million deal. They're making an exorcist trilogy. Wow. With the mom. That's awesome. Helen, is it? Yeah. Helen Burson. Yeah. She's coming yeah. back. Amazing. Yeah. Can't wait. I love her. Yeah. That movie is still. Scares the shit out of me. That that and Jaws, those were formative. (laughs) Yeah. Especially growing up in Massachusetts because they filmed it. So like every kid that was driving distance to Cape Cod was like, I'm not fucking going in the water, bro. (laughs) I'm going in there. There's a whole generation of us that are like, I don't swim in the ocean because fuck that noise. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're bringing the exercise. I'm right there with you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was so great to catch up with you. I'm glad that you're still married. You guys haven't killed yeah. each other. That things are good. That the record's coming out. Thank you. It's you know we have these we have these check ins now. You know, and and I love it. The world is starting to you know I'm back on the radio. Things are starting to find its way. So next thing yeah. is you know to get you in person so we can hang out for real when the insurance yeah. agents say it's okay. I hope so. I look forward to seeing you. Yeah, me too. It was good to catch up. Congratulations on the new record finally coming out. Thank you so much. It's good to see your face. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you soon. All right, sweetheart. See ya. Bye. There he is, Kevin Martin from Candlebox. The new album, Wolves, comes out on September 17th. And the tour starts on August 5th. Now, if you're looking to find out if they're coming to your town... The show notes of this podcast has Kevin Martin's social media links, 
all of the band's links, including the website to get the tour dates and all of the info about the album. It also has a link to the corresponding playlist. Now, every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast has a corresponding playlist that is full of all of the music that we talked about in this episode, including Mike Oldfield and Tubular Bells. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the Situation Report. The sit rep is all your music headlines and rock news in less than five minutes every weekday. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and Jumptown Skydiving at jumptown.com. As always, you can find me online at mistresscarry.com and you can always join me live on my Facebook page every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.